opening day of dove season in Kentucky is like opening day of duck season in Arkansas. Really? Oh, yeah. So a lot of my clients, we can get into this later, but, you know, me and Adam, Adam's not big on dove hunting. But where I come from, I mean, that's, I got a lot of dogs, a lot, that will never see a duck. They buy them just to dove hunt with. Hey, Adam, before we get started, let's don't forget to mention our sponsors. Yeah, the guys who helped bring this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. I guess we could, but it makes it a lot easier, you know? That's right. Shin Gear, waterfowl equipment that's built better. Made by waterfowlers for waterfowlers. Go get you some Shin Gear. Miss Melissa at Duck Dog Clothing. For all your Duck Dog clothing needs, podcast gear, check out Melissa. Our website at Duck Dog Clothing. Dropbox, go in, buy a t-shirt or hat. Supports us. We appreciate it. Don't forget your wet mud mats and your Kong bumpers. And if you're not Kong, Jim, you're wrong. Soggy Dog Gear, SoggyDogGear.com. Oh, Doug over there, Soggy Dog. He's a dog man for all your dog training equipment. He's got it there. Go to SoggyDogGear.com. Be sure on your flat collars to use the discount code, the doghouse, to get your discounts on your flat collars. G&G Motors, Columbia, Kentucky. See Chaz Giles for all your large, small, new and used tractors. Chaz Giles at G&G Motors, Columbia, Kentucky. Guys, don't forget to check out Tetra, the hearing system that works. Tetra, hear the hunt. Hear the hunt. The Sullivan family has been with us a long time, guys. It's no longer Sullivan Motors. It's Sullivan Kirk Automotive, Sullivan Kirk Outfitters for your lift kits, and et cetera, et cetera. Also, new and used vehicles. Those guys have supported us a long time. We'd appreciate it if you support them. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Doghouse Podcast. My name's Kevin Jackson. I am hosting tonight for the Jimmy Rogers edition of Behind the Mic. If you previously listened to Adam Campbell's Behind the Mic, uh, this will be a similar format with Jimmy Rogers. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing good, Kev. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. good. Live right here at Silver Oak Duck Club in Aubrey, Arkansas. Yes, we are. Where yes, all the, we are. All the big things are happening. It, exciting, beautiful place. Mm. Thanks for having me down. Mm. Thanks for coming, bud. You're always welcome. All right. So we're going to get right into it. Tell me where where Jimmy Rogers comes from. Where, where were you born at? Kevin, I was born in Campbellsville, Kentucky. That's a small town. We're about 80 miles southeast of Lex, of Louisville, about 80 miles southwest of Lex or south, yeah, southwest of Lexington, and I'm north, northeast of Nashville, about two hours. So, grew up, born same area. Yep, born and raised right there. Uh, still live there today. Uh, only moved away for a little while. Uh, out of school, I worked over in Russell County, Kentucky, which would be to the east on Lake Cumberland, and spent a few years over there and lived and worked, and then moved back to Campbellsville. Got married, and moved back to Campbellsville. So born on a, a farm, right? I was. I was. My family uh, had a dairy farm, and uh, we had uh, crops and dairy. I was young. Uh, when we were living on the farm, we lived there till I don't know exactly the age. I was still pretty young, and we moved to a subdivision, but we also farmed. 
So I kind of had a diverse uh, childhood where I had neighborhood kids to play with, but I had farm chores to do. It's a little different than most people grow up. Right. So still ran the dairy farm, but moved the family uh, into town. Yeah, just a few miles down the road. Yep. Both your parents worked on the farm? They did. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She she uh, raised us three. I have a, I have a brother, uh, two years younger than me, Josh, a sister, two years older than me, Joy. And then my dad had been previous married and have I have four half-sisters. So for my dad, I was number six in his first son. So that was a big deal for wow for my pops. Yeah. A lot of kids around that. A lot of kids. Uh, my half-sisters mostly uh, was raised out in Southern California. Their mom had moved to San Diego and raised them out there. But they have all had come back over the year, back and forth over the years. So, uh, But Joy and Josh, my full brothers and sisters, uh, being very close in age, we're very close. Even today, we're still very close. Both our parents are past, but we're still very tight-knit. Huh. So mom kind of run the household and did farm chores, and, and dad worked the, the farm, typical yep. uh, dairy farm culture. Yeah, my mom, she was uh, she more run, yep, took care of the house, raised a huge garden. You know, I tell people all the time, I didn't know vegetables come in anything other than a bell jar until I was – you know, in my teens, uh, she would raise a two-acre garden. Uh, Dad also always had some side hustle going on, sales rep. He worked for John Deere for a while. Uh, later on, once the dairy farm had kind of played out, he got into hardwood trim and uh, had a independent sales group working for uh, – started a couple of trim business and then ended up with a place called Cutter Woodwork out of Borden, Indiana, and was their sales rep, main sales rep, and he had several guys that worked for him. They pretty much covered the eastern half of the United States, so he was gone a lot. Huh. Yep. How big of a dairy farm was it? Uh, it was pretty good size. We we would run, you know, uh, we were milking on a straight six. Anybody knows what dairy farming is, so it's six in, six out. And we would run anywhere from 140 to 140 to 180 head. Wow. So a lot, a lot of baby calves, a lot of silage to chop. You know, we were we, we a pretty good size family farm. Yeah, my dad, my part, my dad and my uncle were partners in it. Okay, Rogers Brothers Dairy. So your uncle did a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. while your your dad was off, or was that all chores that no. you had to do as a yeah, kid? Yeah, me and then we had farm hands too. It was big enough. There was a we had a, always had at least two good farm hands. Gotcha. Yeah. So good relationship with your brothers and sisters. Very good. Very blessed with that, man. Like I say, to this day, you know, we're all in our all in our forties, coming fifties, and. And still get along great. Been very fortunate with that. Nice. Yep. So where'd you go to school at? Uh, Taylor County School. The county school system. Uh, went to kindergarten. So my birthday is October the 2nd. So the last day of September is the cutoff for going to school. So that made me the oldest kid in my class. Could have probably went a little earlier, but ended up, you know, mom put me in at the normal time. And uh, started kindergarten through the 12th grade graduated high school there in Tyler County. So in my county, there's a county school system and a city school system. Back then, no private schools. No, There's a couple of different things going on there now, but I was part of the county school system. Nice. How were you as a student in school? Not good. <laughs> totally disinterested. Yeah. Just a waste of my time is the way I've seen it. <laughs> and I mean that, you know, I today I cherish learning. I actually – read constantly you know like I, I every day i'm always trying to learn something new and i enjoy learning when i was in school 
my mind was so far out of there. My mom fought for me to to keep to get to the end. You know, like she she done everything in her power just to make sure I graduated. And I had no intention of going to college whatsoever. I was big in ag, uh, or we had uh, uh, ag, you know, FFA and ag classes, and uh, I, I, that I enjoyed. I couldn't get there fast enough. Learned to weld, learned carpentry skills, learned life skills. More hands-on. More hands-on. And, and, you know, and, and now I'm a huge advocate for kids in trades. I, I, you know, I, I think college is definitely important. I, I think there's people who really need to. But I think it's asinine to think every kid needs a college degree. Right. Just my opinion. You know, I don't have one. I seem like I've come out just fine. You know, uh, I managed a boat dock. I was operations manager at State Dock at Lake Cumberland. And I got that job through hard work, and I knew how to weld. I knew how to do carpentry, and I was their facility maintenance guy. Ended up with operations. And at one point I had probably a dozen people with college degrees that worked for me. Right. There's still or, a lot of or more. A lot know? of jobs and trades out there that that require people to have skills that they don't teach in college. I've always said somebody's got to dig the ditch. And don't be ashamed of that. They, you know, right. when I was a kid, I was taught it was shameful to drive a truck or be a mechanic or auto body or something. And, you know, I, I don't feel that way. I think those are the guys that are truly skilled. You know, yeah. and they and, and I, I, I'm all for it. I, I'm, a, I'm really big on ag classes. I support the FFA. I support, you know, vocational. I think that's the stuff we need to focus on. That's just that's just my opinion. Now, and again, I think college is extremely important for the people who need want a career that requires college, but it's not for everybody. And right. it definitely wasn't for me. Yeah, I think everybody needs a skill. Yeah. yeah. So some people it's a hands-on trade. Some people it's more college-educated trade skill. Absolutely. You know, I come uh, when I come out of school or when I was in school there, I played played football through you know through high school and. Uh, my ag teacher pushed me hard. He he got me scholarship money and everything else. Like Western Kentucky University, it's a good school, you know, a good ag school. But I didn't want to be a greenskeeper, you know, or uh, I, you know, it just it it just wasn't anything I was interested in, you know. I, my goal, and I come out so different than where I started, is uh, I took up as a kid through the dairy farm. We go to the stockyards, cattle barn, cattle sale. Right. On Saturday mornings, and I loved to listen to the auctioneer. We had a fantastic auctioneer, still still sales in Gimbelsville, Kentucky, and uh, named John Kessler. And just to sit and listen to this guy chant, you know, was amazing, and it always impressed me. So anyway, I was working at a grocery store part-time, too, and they had those PA systems, and I would get on there and rattle around, you know, and somebody one day said, that's pretty good at that. And then through FFA, they had tobacco auctioneering for our region, and uh, I they said, you know, who wants to try out for tobacco auctioneer? And I'm like, heck, I'll try it. So I grew up, we, you know, we go to the tobacco market, and it sold it on live, you know, live sale. Right. The tobacco companies bought off the floor to warehouse the farmer's tobacco with an auctioneer selling it. So I had a little knowledge of it. They got some, they got a guy to come in and work with me and kind of learn how to do it, and I started competing at that. And, that, and I really enjoyed it. I thought this is, this is kind of something. This is looking more like what I want to do for a living. Right. Those guys sell through the winter. They would, they would have a fall and winter job. And then a lot of them farmed in the summer. I was into walking horses really big at the time. I, I was huge in horses. That's that's all I thought about. You know, like I am dogs now. I trained, done a lot of early training on young walking horses. We had show horses. I was working on farrier ship. You know, I I really enjoyed the horses. Uh, and then with the auctioneering, I thought this is going to be great. So when once I graduated, I competed 
I got second in the state. They're the kid that I, I got second to. His whole family was tobacco auctioneers. He, he he sounded like a pro. Like he was obviously better, and I could live with that because he was good. You know, I was learning. He was right. He went straight into the sale. So uh, to be an auctioneer, you have to uh, acquire an apprenticeship license and have someone sign for you. I found a guy to do that, and uh, then once you get your apprenticeship license, you do two years of apprenticeship. Then you reapply to get your principal's license, and you take another test to become a principal. That's old school. Now it's way more complex than that. So I go through that process and working on getting hired to be a tobacco auctioneer, and they, they close the market <laughs> on live, live sales like they had done for 150 previous years. And now and the government stopped the support on it. So now you just make a contract with the tobacco company, and there's no tobacco, live tobacco auctions. So what I had decided to do for a career – right out of the box was cut off so it went away it so, went away it just went away it's, it doesn't even exist no, anymore you know so do you still have an auctioneer license i do it's in what they call escrow i haven't actually so so from that point here i have this license it, you're licensed you're, you're either licensed or you're not licensed so i was licensed so i've done some estate sales you know i tried my hand i'd love to get into the cattle market but my family wasn't into that you know like those those people who have those type jobs they pay really well just hard to get a foot in. I was right. good. You know, I got some offers. I'd come fill in here and there. I'd do this and that. But to ever find anything to make any money at that was no good. The next step would be a real estate agent and sell real estate and have have an auctioneer. So uh, have your auctioneer's license. So I didn't care anything about selling real estate. So what I'd done was freelance auctioneer for about, oh, shoot, at one time I probably had five real estate companies use me. I, I sold every Saturday. And just sideline, you know, I, I paid really good, but it was only so many hours. You know, sometimes right. I'd work two hours on Saturday, and sometimes I'd work 12 hours on Saturday. I got paid by the hour. So I had a minimum. You know, if I went, they had to pay me so much, and then after that I got paid by the hour. So it was okay, but I I, I don't care anything about antiques. Right. You know, uh, the farm sales we done was always good. I liked selling farm equipment and breaking it. You know, I hate to say it, but we broke up. You know, I was in that gig in the late 90s, early 2000s when – really late late 90s when a lot of those big farms were getting broke into subdivisions right and i was one you know i'd be up there chant you know doing the chance for the real estate agent who had a list of the auction right I've, <laughs> I've been told several times that a lot of that auctioneer jobs it's almost passed down generational mm-hmm. it, it's typically held within a family and they kind of hold it close to the vest so the same kind of situation it is you know it's a good it's a good living uh if, if you get into you know I had opportunity to do antique auctions. Something you know, I just you know, I was totally disinterested in. They paid, I'd go do them because I needed the money, but didn't care nothing for it. You can't do that for right. you know, and uh, and and you have to appraise. Like you know, when somebody holds something up, you're up there in your big con, somebody reaches down, and picks up a you know a, a pink depression glass. You know, I, I need to kind of have an idea what that's worth. I can't ask two dollars and it's worth two thousand dollars. So you know, I can mess up the whole sale process. Where if I was selling. Uh, say farm equipment. Well, I know that that old batwing bush hog. I'd seen them sell them before. That was worth, you know, six thousand dollars. Is about what it's worth. You know, it's probably going to bring between five and seven. So I wouldn't start it at a thousand. You know, I started at four thousand, five, or you know, ask ten back back down to five. Hopefully, somebody hit maybe down to four, three. Somebody hit, take it right up. You know, so you kind of got to know what you're selling. Right. Don't yeah. start at the bottom every time. Don't start. Yeah. It's the same thing with property. When we were selling, I enjoyed selling property. You know, if it was just land sales wasn't bad. But I, I knew by acre, we'd sell the timber. 
they still had some bound, uh, t- uh, tobacco poundage, you know, like back in those days in Kentucky, you still had some poundage on your farm. We'd sell them out separate and then sell it out by lots, and we'd do choice sale. This was before all the multi-par selling and things. And if you, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just – it wasn't what I wanted to do. I did not right. want to be a real estate auctioneer for a living. So we've kind of delved off into the auctioning. So let's auction off uh, a podcast in, in 10 seconds or less. All right, let's go. <clears throat> it's been a while now. Let's go ahead. 25, now 30, now 5, 35, 35, 4, not a little 5, 40, here to 5, 50, not a little 5, 64, 5, 65, 5, not a little 5, 65, 67, a half, half, 70, not a bit of 70. There you go. So perfect. <laughs> perfect. I, I think we'll get Adam to buy it. So every once in a while, I'll do the uh, down here at Mariana, uh, Arkansas, I will do uh, uh, the DU banquet. You know, that's for charity. It's for nonprofit. I, I, they don't pay me anything. I'll do it just to help the guys out. Justin Higgins, my buddy here local, was the chairman for several years. I actually done it last year. He hasn't been the chairman in a few years. I hadn't done it in a few years. But Ty, the guy that's local here, asked me to, you know, he couldn't get an auctioneer. He said, would you come sell for us? And I did. I enjoy that. I, I, that was fun. You yeah. know, selling a DU banquet every once in a while was cool. But yeah. uh, So, doing it again this year, or do you know yet? I know. They haven't asked. I hope – so – you know, the thing it is, if I'm up there selling, I'm not hanging out with my buddies back here acting right. ding-dong, so I kind of like hanging out. But I would, if, they, if they're in a bind, they know they can count on me. Yeah. yeah. So if they ask this year, we'll put it out on the, the Facebook page, Come and, and we'll see if we can get everybody <laughs> there to uh, laugh at Jimmy being an auctioneer. <laughs> oh, yeah. So backing up to school, uh, you skipped right over playing football. So we weren't good yeah. at it. Grades weren't great. Grades were not great. Focused I, I on, mean, on ag stuff and just played to, football. Just to get through, football was something. I, I loved baseball. Played baseball through what well, we had, Babe Ruth. So it was like Pee Wee League, Little League, Babe Ruth. Didn't play high school baseball. Wasn't talented enough. Never tried out. Just kind of burnt out on it. Played football just because of my size. Yeah. I, you know, one of them things, I'm not that guy. You know, I would bump into those guys. I'm like, man, you remember that time we was playing blah, 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 and you done so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking, nah, I have no idea. I just – I don't watch football. I'm not a you know I'm not a huge sports fan. Huh. I don't know why. I remember playing, practicing football, and being out there in September, and looking up and seeing doves flying over, thinking, "Dang, I wish I was dove hunting." <laughs> you know, and it is what it is. Yeah. I played, I committed, and I done it. You know, but wasn't wasn't something I just eat up like a lot of people do. It's, I don't have any glory days of football. Right. Were you good at it? Just because I was so big, I was a center. Okay. I filled a big hole. <laughs> and I was strong. You know, I was, you know. Country I strong I, from co- the farm. Country strong just from yeah. being the way I was raised. You know, I could push people around, but. Not no. ready to go up against Adam on, on football. No, no. Yeah, no, I, I think Adam uh, severely underplayed his football talent mm-hmm. uh, and just natural athletic Oh, ability. and I played with guys like Adam. I'm sure he just, I, he could probably tell you every down he played. You know, and I'm, yeah. I, I'm not against it. It's just not. It wasn't my right. thing. Wasn't your thing? Mm-mm. No. So. No. And, and going to that, you know, dove shooting is what I was thinking about. I'd rather dove hunt than I'd play football. So, did your parents hunt? My dad. My dad. So, kind of different. We didn't grow up deer hunting. Didn't grow up bass fishing. All he, all he thought about was quail hunting and dove hunting. In Kentucky. In Kentucky. And back then we had quail. He always had bird dogs. Uh, you know. We didn't really – I had uncles that rabbit hunted. I had uncles that coon hunted. You know, I grew up – we, we always had a dog, you know, on the farm. And even when we moved to town or – we weren't in town. The subdivision was out in the country. But, 
even in the country subdivision, we always had a dog, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember, shoot, I got a bird dog when I was young. Really? Really young, yeah. And it, that was interesting to me. You know, I liked the hunting dogs just, you know, at a young age. Rabbit hunting's too slow a pace. You know, I've I, I, I rabbit hunted enough to know how to do it with dogs, but I, like, I, I'm like where the red, red front grows. I want to run along behind them, you know. I, right. I, so growing up bird hunting, you're always moving. You know, tracking them dogs. Like, I have a bird dog right now. I have a setter that's uh, at uh, up here at Duck Camp and uh, north of Brinkley with uh, Delta Limits with Philip Best, who's, you know, that I've trained and been running, and he's pheasant hunting with him this summer and shot several birds over him already this year. Nice. So I like the, you know, and really I've always said this, and, and I truly believe it, you know, I truly believe this. If birds would have stayed, if we had the opportunity for wild coil in my area, I don't know where I'd be right now. Meaning, probably would have never went duck hunting. Be training bird dogs, maybe. Maybe. And not maybe. retrievers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I trained my own bird dogs, you know, and I enjoyed that. I don't know if I'd have got into training bird dogs. Maybe. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than labs or retrievers at the time, you know. And then as we started duck hunting, and then I started to learn about what these labs could really do, you know, not just going to get ducks, but the right. hunt testing or field trialing or the competitive side of it made it way more interesting. So did you train your bird dogs as a kid? Was your dad training his own dogs? So, no, dad was always busy. He would send them in for training. He would send his in for training. I got using a pro. I, yeah, using a pro or, yeah, back then it was – Drop him off at the guy's house and hopefully he didn't lose it or get rid of it before he got back over to get it. But uh, the, uh, you know, I don't, I'm going to say I was maybe 10 or 12 years old when I got my own and just started messing with it. Is that where the passion for the dogs and I, interest came from? I think so. Uh, somewhere about that same time, uh, we we were dove hunting and a neighbor of mine, Dr. Les Richardson, I doctor there, and his oldest son and I were best friends growing up, one of my best friends. And, uh, and him and another boy just stuck together always. They had a, a boy spaniel that had been professionally trained. This had been in the early 80s. And, I, you know, nobody had ever seen a dog. He'd blow the whistle. And he, I'm sure looking back, he had no idea what he was doing, you know. But he'd stop the dog and move him around. And the dog, they we dove hunted, you know, all the time. Yeah. And the uh, dog's name was General. Never forget it. And uh, he seemed so big back then, you know. <laughs> you know, you see what a boy can look like these days. But anyway, General was good for, for what he, you know, who was operating him. And I wanted a retriever. So uh, my dad got us a golden retriever. Just uh, one of the neighbors, you know, uh, got on the local hardware store, lived a couple streets over him and his wife, bred golden retriever pets. He got me one, and uh, I just went out there in the yard and take tennis balls and do what I'd seen Dr. Richardson do with his. And took him to the and he would go get them, you know, and just didn't know no better. You know, we just, we were playing. He'd go get the birds, bring them back to me. So that was my first real experience. I'm going to say that was probably 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Pretty young, you know. And, and But so where we lived, we were blessed. We could ride our four-wheelers to the dove field. We farmed a lot of the ground right around that subdivision. So we could dove shoot. Me and all my buddies. From had, the house. From the house. We just literally a quarter mile or less from being in the middle of silage and sit here and shoot, shoot doves. Is dove hunting still big in Kentucky? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, opening day of dove season in Kentucky is like opening day of duck season in Arkansas. Really? Oh, yeah. So a lot of my clients, we can get into this later, but, you know, me and Adam, Adam's not big on dove hunting. But where I come from, I mean, that's I got a lot of dogs, a lot, that will never see a duck. They buy them just to dove hunt with. 
Wow. I trained for several of the horse farms in around Lexington, you know, and they they all have monster shoots. It's it's a real social event, you know, and uh, oh yeah, it's I mean they hunt in a bunch, you know, kill a lot of birds. They, I mean they manage some massive fields and keep birds, you know. There's a where I hunt at every year. I think this year was his. I don't want to misspeak, but. 32nd, 33rd, 34th annual dove shoot on the same spot. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It, it's amazing. I mean, it's 30 acres of standing sunflowers is without a weed in a patch. It's beautiful. Yeah. I I dove hunt a little bit northeast Arkansas, southeast Missouri. We we typically you – I've know, got a buddy that uh, farms watermelons southeast yeah. Missouri, and we'll leave a watermelon field and, and disc it up right before September 1st. Yep. And we'll hunt it, but it's only a couple of day deal, and then everybody's like, "Okay, we're we're done with that." And it's really more of a shooting warm up to go. Okay, I'm I'm ready to go duck hunting. Go duck hunting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and and there's a lot of people that's going to catch that opening weekend, or you know, the opening day, opening weekend thing. But uh, you know, a lot of my clients are hunting all of September. I mean, they they'll schedule hunts. You know, they have those fields set and stages where they, you know, by the end, it's usually not as good. Sometimes the birds come later, but most time they'll get burnt out as they go. But yeah, oh yeah, they. I'll have a lot of dogs that have 20 days of dove season on them, 20, 25 days of dove season. Wow. But that's what they get. You know, I mean, that's that's what they got their dog for. Yeah. Yeah. It, and doves are a little bit harder to mark than uh, than a duck. A little bit harder. I, you know, one thing I've noticed, it's uh, <laughs> we gonna get you're going to get me off on dog training, but it's so funny. When you first take that puppy uh, dove hunting, they always run way past it. Because I think that bird being so small, anytime they've seen something that size, it was a duck a long way out there. Right. And every time they'll overrun it a lot. Like, it takes them forever to understand that them little birds are way closer than they look. But yeah. anyway, yeah, I, dove, dove shooting at home. is and As a kid, young kid, we dove shot. My dad, that's his favorite thing. I mean, he he loved it. He was he was just eat up with dove hunting. We would try, we'd take a trip to western Kentucky and camp, you know, do a, like a, when I say camp, we stayed in a travel bus, you know, type deal. <laughs> but, uh, we uh, we would go down and uh, went three or four days down there, and I mean, it was an event. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. That kind of all your hunting through high school, dove, a little bit of quail, dove, quail. Of course, I do, I deer hunted. You know, even at a young age, I, it's just hard to remember. But I was I was pretty young. Uh, say ten or twelve, started deer hunting. Of course, like every every little kid, dad would take me. I had a twenty gauge slug. Now, this is back in Kentucky. You're talking, you know, several years ago, 30, you know, almost 40 years ago. There wasn't a lot of deer. There was some deer, but it wasn't very many. You had a few, just a week of gun season, and buck only, no does. And shoot, I mean, very few people got a tag field. Over time, my dad was good. He would take me deer hunting. But I built, you know, back then we built stands, wooden, you right. know, stands up in the, like we'd find a fork of three trees, you know, and go up there and build a stand in it. But he would always take me anytime I wanted. I mean, he was good about that. And weekends, you know, we'd go and hunt. He didn't care nothing about it. He couldn't sit still. He was a conversationalist. He didn't want. He, he wouldn't want to sit and be quiet. So he was a social hunter. So the dove hunting and dove hunting, quail, quail hunting was, was much it, more was his style. thing. Yeah, yeah. And we fished. Uh, you know, grew up pond fishing and you know catching wading creeks, fishing walleye or excuse me, uh, like rock bass and right. uh, stuff like that. But you know, not huge fishermen. Dad didn't care. He wasn't a huge fisherman. Wasn't his favorite thing about me and my buddies fished all the time, you know, how kids are. But then, you know, with the then deer hunted, by the time I was driving, uh, by the time I started coon hunting. And that's when it really, you know, the, 
more than just normal. I could tell that I was not just, you know, like a pleasure hunter. Right. When I, I'm gonna, by the time I started driving, I had an Uncle Johnny, my mom on my mom's side, who had had coon dogs his whole life, and he had Walker dogs, and uh, I was around and said, "Man, I like try coon hunts." And I thought, oh, "You're welcome, go in." Of course, he was the type of guy; he's always looking for something to go because he'd hunt every night. So I go out there and go with him, and, and as soon as I went, I'm like, "This is this is cool," and that's one of those things I'm gonna say from the first time I went. Within six weeks, I probably had six dogs tied up behind the house, and I was hunting every night of the week. <laughs> I bought the best headlight I could buy, you know, a Ford at the time, which I'm sure was cheap. I think it was a, no offense, but it was a, the cheapest nightlight, like the $99 <laughs> one, you know. But I was hunting every night. I mean, and I'd done that pretty much from there till once I graduated school and had to go to work, I, you know, I, coon hunting was pretty much over at that point. Yeah. I figured out that's hard to it's hard to hold a heart, you know, a construction job and coon hunt every night was right. not, not very doable. But that, I, I was truly just absorbed into that world. Wasn't it huge in the contest hunting? It was around. I'd done some, not not really that much. I just really enjoyed watching them dogs work and seeing them develop, taking young dogs and getting them going. <clears throat> Didn't know anything about it. Read the Walk with Wick book, which is the Bible, of, you know, no coon dog world or learn how to train and I, and I would do the yard work stuff with them some things I thought you know I really want to lead so I would teach them to lead you know I, I didn't want them dragging me down or acting a fool you know and so I'd work with them on some things a lot of other people didn't do it to them and I actually like playing with my dogs of course those old guys were like oh man you're going to ruin those and we figured out different now that you, right. you can be good to them and they still be good dogs you know but right. uh, anyway uh, coon hunt was where I really found out that's the dogs was where it was at. So really before you ever graduated high school, you'd already trained a retriever to do dove hunting, and then you yep. were training coon dogs to, to coon hunt. So the dogs and the training really came in early in your life. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then again, we had the horses, you know. So I would I was doing, when I was still in high school, I would have five or six horses. I was green, what they call green breaking. You know, I would put them in the, in a harness and teach them to drive. I'd start them about 15, 16 months, teach them to lunge, teach them to lead, teach them to lunge, teach them to drive, have them under saddle by about 17, 18 months. I would I would get them, what up, anybody knows anything about walking horses, I'd get them into pacing. That's the gait they'd do. And once I got them pacing and steer, you know, where you could steer them with the, uh, with the reins, they would ship them into their trainers. Huh. And uh, I'd done several of those, that, you know, that become a dying breed, the walking horse deal with the padded horses went under under attack through PETA where they the sore you know where they were soaring them and looking right. back now I I never got horses that stage we had horses that were at that stage but I never took horses to that stage where they were getting the soaring and all that stuff with the action chains and looking back now it was bad that was a that was a bad it was a bad thing uh, you know it changed like you know I'd go to the world championship down in uh, Shelbyville, Tennessee, you know, and that was so fun to sit here and watch those horses. But once you've seen what they've been through, it was pretty rough. So, and that, that's all over the years. I've really, that's since 91, 92. I mean, it's a totally different world. Huh. So, were your parents into the horses too? Or oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. My uh, mom never rode or anything, but dad, he, he he wasn't a rider, but he liked them. He, all, he, he always had horses. So it was all part of the dairy farm. And part of the dairy farm. He would he would have horses in training sometimes. You know he liked competing with. You know the trainer would ride them. 
Right. So he would have horses from just time to time. wasn't always, but he would have horses in training. And then when I got into it, he really got into it. He liked it. So how was your home life and relationship with your parents? It was fantastic, man. I was so blessed. Uh, my dad was 40 years old when I was born. Oh, wow. So we were buddies. You know, I mean, that's the truth. I, I mean, dad was like this. As long as you don't embarrass me, I won't hurt you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> great dude. I, he was fun, fun-loving, easy as heck to get along with. Uh, but he wasn't, you know, he, he, he didn't play no crap. Uh, he would, if you done wrong, he would make sure you understood you were wrong. Well, the way it should be, you know. Uh, and then my mom, she was, she was great. Uh, dad gone a lot. She would get me back and forth to ball practice, get me to the barn. We we like in the winter time, I'd have I'd stabled horses in a uh, in a barn I could ride in. So she'd get me back and forth even before you know I started uh, driving. She'd get me back and forth to the barn. I mean, she spent her time taking kids, you know, us to where we needed to go, right. you know, practices and all that stuff. So it was good. It it truly was. I Man, I. I never seen my parents fight. They just didn't do it. Wow. Uh, yeah. It just that's, I, that's rare. I, it's very rare, man. I, I don't ever remember much more than a crossword. Really? Church on Sunday morning. And they weren't, they weren't, you know, just eat up religious or crazy, you know, nuts about it. But, you know, we just, I just got along. They, yeah. they you know, I'm sure they had problems, but they, if they did, we'd, we'd never seen it as kids. Maybe they took care of it. Away from the kids. I think so. I think so. My mom was big about that, I'm sure, protecting us from it. But it was, was, I mean, as far as the childhood, there was hard times financially through farming and business and all that stuff, I'm sure. And I never had all I I wanted, but I always had what I needed. Right. You know, so it was, was, you couldn't ask for no better. And that's the truth. That's, it was pretty amazing. Your mom and dad similar ages? No, no. So dad was 40. My mom was, I think, 12 years younger than my dad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, pretty big age gap. I think probably a a larger age gap at that time than it really is now. It seems like it's a little yeah. more common now, or or maybe maybe I just notice it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe now since now you're closer to that age. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. No, they they but they got along. It was it was yeah. it was impressive. You know, just hard, both of them hard working. I mean, them, those people. Right. Just didn't know nothing but get up and go to work. Good or bad, they were going to work. Right. You know, they they and they, you see that as a kid, it's gotta help. You know, my, my right. sister and my brother both, they their their work ethic's amazing. I mean they they both have done very well for themselves and I think I hope to think I'm half asset it anyway, you know, I but you know even as little kids we got up and went to work. You know, and right. it wasn't like it was mean, it wasn't child labor. It was cool. I could go feed bottle calves every morning. Climb up in the loft and push down dairy, you know, feed for the dairy cows, you know, before we went to school or, you know, whatever it was. I mean, shoot, by the time I was probably seven, eight years old, I was mowing. You know, I mowed the yard, you know, yeah. mowed the yard. And I'd pull silage wagons, you know, because it's what we done back in. Or maybe just didn't know any better. Didn't know no better. Is what you <laughs> but I was helping. It wasn't like it was out there playing. I mean, it, it right. come up times like, Jimmy, get in from school, get your clothes changed, you know, you need to you get the yard mowed or you need to. You need to do this, you need to do that, and you, you just done it. You didn't know no better, you know. I think kid, kids back then, I don't know, uh, they weren't as protective of us as they are now. You know, does that make sense? Like It's a little safer space, I think. It, it, me and you were somewhere age. I, I, yeah. I think it was a little safer to go outside when yeah, yeah. we were kids than it is, are now. Yeah. So I'm right on that. You and I, of course, I think we're the same age. We're 48. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I never got into video games. I played them, 
But now my brother Josh, who's two years younger, I loved him. I mean, he was all into it. Right. But I was just right there at that age where there was no inside, you right. know, for any reason to ever be inside of a house other than to eat and sleep. Yeah. Get a I've, shower, you know. I've got a brother three years older than me that he not as into the video games as most of the kids are now, but definitely more than I was. And I played them a little bit, but it never really was the thing. I always wanted to be outside. Yeah. Yeah. So similar experience. Sure. Uh, so both your parents have passed. They have lost my dad in 2000. So what timelines are to January of 2010, January 16, 2010. So he'd been gone a good while. Uh, lost mom two years ago. February 1st, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And it was tough. I mean, you know, anybody's lost their parents, that's hard. You know, that's that's always a – you know, I tell people all the time, losing your dad's tough. And me and dad, we – so by the time I turned 20, dad's 70. He's retired and he wants me to play with him and I got to go make a living, you know. So we had a lot of fun. We hunted together, golly, man. We'd go to Real Foot Lake fishing. And I was blessed that I had a job where I could get some time, and we spent a ton of time together. So we were super close. He, you know, he got older and passed away. And, and don't get me wrong, it, it was tough. But something about losing your mom, that's a different deal. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you, too. Have you lost? Have you, so, yeah, my mom passed in 2014. My dad passed uh, end of 2018. Yeah. And I miss my dad. Yeah. Uh, but it's not. It's not the same. Yeah, when you, mom, anybody that's ever lost their mom, uh, uh, and maybe it's just a guy, but that's just you know. And, and me and mom were extremely close, of course, but not like me and dad. Right. You know, but it, it's tough. That, that's a that's hard. You can't even explain it. somebody who hadn't experienced that. You hate to see them go through it. It breaks my heart to see somebody have to go through that. Right. Yeah. Well, it change. I feel like it changes your life. And you just have to kind of learn to live with it. It, it. it never goes away. It's just you learn to live with it. Yeah. It gets easier with time, but I think it's only because you become accustomed to living with it. Yeah, yeah. Like K.P. Moss says, it's like you're an orphan. You know, yeah. they're gone. You're, you're, he said, you're an orphan. Right. You're like, you know, I'm 40, was it a 46-year-old orphan? Because, you know, you've had them their whole life to take care of you. And, even right. you know, until Dad passed, I, financially, you know, I, I, by the time, you know, when he passed, I was grown and had a lot of stuff going on business-wise and working and running and going and doing things. And, and I, I I deferred to him a lot, you know, because he had experienced it. Right. You know, I got smart enough to understand he was not the dumbest person on earth that I was. <laughs> we, we reversed roles there for a while, and I realized that I needed to check with him to see before I'd done stuff because he had enough. You know, and then you lose that and you don't have that opportunity. Right. It's it pretty tough. takes the safety net away. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it's uh, – I feel for anybody that has to go through it. Oh, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the one thing my mom always asked of us was to outlive her. Yeah. Uh, you know, she didn't want me and my brother uh, passing before her. So, you know, the only thing she required out of us her whole life was to outlive her. <laughs> to make it pass. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I did that, but it, it was tough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – it's just hard. That, that part, you know uh, – I lived close, so uh, my sister and brother both moved off, and I lived about two miles from mom. But my brother talked to my mom every day at least once, most time twice a day. And uh, they were extremely close, and I lived two miles from her. And I, I, I seen her, but she worked. 
and she didn't have to, but she she loved to work. And uh, after we all got grown, she went to work, worked at Walmart. Yeah. Worked there 20-something years, I don't know how long, but loved it. I mean, that was like her whole life, but she didn't have nothing else. You know what I mean? That's what right. she wanted to do, and everybody's like, why don't she quit? I'm like, what else she going to do? <clears throat> but she worked the weekends, and I or she would, and I would be gone. She'd be off on the weekend, I'd be gone on the weekends. And then when it reversed, she would reverse. It's like we, I mean, I was around her a lot, but it wasn't like I was close right. as we could have been, you know. Right. But I don't regret anything. I mean, I, I done, I took care of her. I was there, so I. Right. That helps too when something like that happens and you got everything right. right. That makes it way easier. Yes. Yep. You know you've done your part. Yeah. If you, you've got to be right with them and the Lord when it happens. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and I recommend that to anybody. If you're not, get that done because right. Mama goes and you ain't. You're gonna feel bad about that deal. Right. Yeah. Well, what kind of person are you if you're not right with your mama? Ain't that the truth? You know, and I think that's uh, looking back over the years, the things I excelled at the most. My mom supported a lot. Yeah. She loved the dog. She come to the grand. You know, she tracked everything I'd done with them. She was into it. She and yeah. that and that made me proud. You know, I was glad that that she enjoyed it. Right. I'm glad she got to come, you know, and and that and got to see me run dogs and enjoy it. She she truly enjoyed being around all of that. So yeah. that was cool that she got to experience that. Dad, 2010, I was running dogs, I was running tests, but I, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was just really getting rolling and going good. So by the time I really got taken off a of dog, it was, you know, he'd done fast, so he didn't get to see that. He, I mean, I had dogs, I had trained a lot of dogs, but I hadn't got to running. I you know. I run my first grand in 2011. He died in right. 2010. So, yep. So a little behind. A little behind, yep. All right. So backing up to Jimmy Rogers graduates high school in Kentucky. Yep. What's next? All right. So uh, my senior year, my mom and I had had partnered on a bait shop. We lived next to Green River Lake State Park, and there was a bait shop up there that was for lease. And so we leased it from a guy and put a bait store in. Gas, little gas station. And uh, So, hang on. You and your mom mm-hmm. partnered up right after you graduated no, high school? No, no, no. I, um, at the end of my junior year. Okay, so you're still in high school. So still mom, in high school. Mom's probably noticing that Jimmy's not doing the grades. Oh, yeah. Better <laughs> better learn a trade. Be- better yep. figure out something. Yep, yep, yep. So, so, so we leased this place. It had boat storage and stuff, and everything was going good there. It was, it was fine. Uh, we done, like, breakfast. Like, we would take turns. Uh, what I would do a lot of times is work the early morning because this is also during the time I coon hunted a ton. So I would hunt all night, come in and work. Like, say, in the summertime, I'd come in and work till like, 1 o'clock, go in and sleep. Mom would take the afternoon shift, and I would get up, go coon hunt, and work the morning shift. And I'd come in, cook breakfast for all the fishermen. I mean, we had a good clientele. It was really cool. We had bait you could buy you know minnows and crickets and worms and artificial baits and we had all kinds of cool stuff in there and on the weekends we'd have pork burgers and barbecue you know and people would stop by it's literally right at the entrance of the state park it was very good and we had it till graduated in the spring that fall everything was going great trying to buy it from the guy and really pushing to try to buy it (laughs) and uh the go he had he was delinquent on his taxes and lost it. Oh no! Oh yeah, it set it set vacant. It was it was so that type of business is really cool, especially when I was in high school because I always had cash. It didn't make you know like you're not gonna get rich doing that, but you always had five hundred bucks. And when you're a senior in high school and you got five hundred bucks, you're rich. You're rich. <laughs> you Probably know? more money than you really should have. Way more money than I should have. But 
But, you know, I was pretty responsible. Wasn't a big drinker, partier at that time. You know, I just, I was working a lot. I had that. I was, I was you know, doing horses. I had dogs. I, I had a ton of crap going on. So it wasn't like I was even spending much money. I bought a horse trailer. <laughs> you know, it would be more long lines where I'd blow my money on. But, uh, uh, you know, that, that deal went away, and then I had to do something. I was working on my – I was in so, the middle of my apprentice auctioneering. See, I'd started on it because when I turned 18. So as I, I had to graduate school. As soon as I graduated, I was working on it. Uh, my family owned Overhead Door Company at Campbellsville. All right. Before we get into the overhead doors, let, let's back right. up because I, I think we hit – to me, at least, we we triggered something. So you were cooking oh, at yeah. this bait shop. Is, oh, yeah. is that where the the passion for cooking and where you learned to cook? I don't really know where I learned. My mom, my mom was a good cook. She had actually owned a restaurant in her younger life, and my grandmother was a good cook. My dad was a good cook. Come from a long line, Just of, a line of, of good of people who good cooks who good cook and. and I, I don't know if I'm really that good a cook. Like, I'm not a, a trained chef, but I like to eat. <laughs> and I and I, I truly enjoy cooking. That We can get into a whole segment I, look, of I've I've eaten your food enough that I, I'm willing to say you're a good cook. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the people that uh, – And a lot of people told me they like the way I cook. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's not healthy. I'm not hey, – you know, look, Right, yeah. <laughs> it's not healthy. I cook like a like a – I used to tell people I should have been <laughs> born a hundred years ago. You know, I mean, I, you know, if, if I could get my hands on some really good Fisher's lard, I could show you how to cook. You know, <laughs> no, it just I do, and I enjoy, it, and I like it all. I cook anything from you know Italian, a lot of country style cooking. I cook, you know, Mexican. You know, I do a lot of uh, Spanish dishes. I, you know, and, and I, I don't know where I learned it. I, I, I tell you, I tell you where, and you got up, got me off into this. So when I first got married. And uh, we got our first satellite. Lived in the country. <clears throat> got our first satellite. I don't. I think it was pre Food Network. I, I, I can't remember for sure, but uh, there was a guy, and he's still out there. You see him out there. His name was Emeril Lagasse. Yeah, that's the first person I ever seen cook on TV. Yeah, I think he was selling pots and pans on yeah, infomercials, if that, I remember that, right. Well, that's what he does now. The original was he actually had a cooking show. Okay, and uh, now he's selling. Yeah, like. Oh, air fryers and pots and pans and stuff. But back then, he actually cooked. And uh, he was real charismatic, and, and it was cool. And I, I mean, like, first time I watched him, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And uh, I got to watching him, and then I ended up getting a couple of his cookbooks. And, and it was pretty elaborate. Like, like, he made his own mayonnaise. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. a little bit much. But it was like, man, I've never seen anybody cook on TV. And I watched it a ton. Well, then I got to thinking, well, shoot, I can cook. So I called my mom, hey, the first year I got married, I'd done Thanksgiving myself for like 40 people. Wow. Called my mom and said, how you make, how you make dressing? Well, you make cornbread. All right. Well, she gave me two iron skillets to make cornbread in. So I made cornbread. We'd done cornbread dressing. How you make giblet gravy? I, you know, I still make homemade giblet gravy. <laughs> you know, I make, I'd I, I done it all. You know, I just, I'd figured it out as I went. And there you go. Then, when I come to work, when I really got to enjoying cooking the most, when I come to work for Brian, I'd been at other duck clubs where I was head cooks. Never messed with it. Whatever they served, what I ate, didn't have nothing to do with it. Come to work for Brian, and I got into the management side of it. Yeah. 
I really got to cooking, and I learned a lot from Brian. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to okay. We'll, we'll come back to cooking at the Duck Lodge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's how the cooking started. Yeah, gotcha. I found it interesting that you, you were cooking it. Oh yeah, yeah. So like there, like at the bait store in the mornings, I do like some country ham, some bacon. You know, country ham biscuit, bacon biscuit. We had fried egg to order. You know, fried eggs to order. Just pretty, pretty simple. You know, it wasn't nothing big. Just, just a pretty simple little breakfast deal. And your mom entrusted you to go do this by yourself in oh, the morning. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No problem there. Yeah, and she would do it like then when the school would start. She would do the mornings. I'd do the evenings. I'd work until, I think we closed, like, in the wintertime, we closed at probably 7 o'clock. I'd go coon hunt, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, that's how we've done it. All right. So, what was after bait shop? So, bait, bait store closed unnaturally. I hated that, man. I, that was such a cool gig. Uh, had My cousins, my dad and my uncle had started the local overhead door. My dad had sold out to my uncle. And uh, his family had kept it, and he had passed my that uncle. That was my oldest uncle. My dad said had passed away, and my two cousins owned it. I, I you know, I was needing a job. I had something. To, I, had, I had to have something to do. I was working on my apprenticeship for auctioneering. You know, hey, you guys got a, got a job? They're like, yep. You can sweep the floor and load the trucks. I'm like, I'll take it. You know, I was making. Uh, I started out four seventy five an hour. <laughs> Minimum wage, I think, was four and a quarter. I was making four seventy five an hour. You know, and I would go in, sweep the floors. I'd make shutters, vinyl shutters. I learned how to how to use the saws. There's a guy named Gordon uh, Clark, Gordon Ray Clark, and his brother Timmy worked there, and they worked in the warehouses, and, and they taught me a ton about carpentry and what we were doing, you know. And, and, like, when I had free time, I'd help them, or they'd have me, you know, like we pre-hung doors. You know, we'd, we'd have door slabs and door frames. We'd frame them up, and they taught me how to do that or mold windows, put windows together, you know, load trucks. Of course, I was big and strong. You know, learned how to drive a tractor trailer because we had warehouse down the road about three or four miles. Of course, back then, you know, I was 18 years old. I'd get in that tractor trailer, man. That's fun. Boy, I'd be shifting them gears and blowing up black smoke, you know. And uh, then I'd work on the garage. Then I got up to where I was working on the garage door crew. They found out I could weld. I'd learned to weld through high school. So I was doing welding and hanging garage doors. And I actually enjoyed that. That was a cool job. I liked it because when we pulled in somewhere, done some residential, I'd done a lot of the commercial side like like you know like a factory building or a steel building type and, and you know you pulled in once we put the door in got it operating smooth everything was cool when i pulled out i was like oh man it changed it it finished it that was the right. finishing touch there's sense the of accomplishment sense of accomplishment and we do some big jobs uh even in a house you know if i did a residential every once in a while, one of those small doors you know, one there spend a couple hours put the thing in watch it operate get this you know everything going good pull out be like ah it's, that's good you know, so I enjoyed it, but I learned a lot. I learned a ton. It was, it was a very the company was real diverse. They had a wholesale side, was called Central Distributing. My dad had started back in the '60s, and uh, it done like uh, sold lumber yards material. So we loaded a truck out every day. I learned how to logistics. You know, loading a truck in order to come off. Learned uh, just a ton about building supplies. Are those companies still existing today? They are. They are. Uh, Overhead Door, Camelsville, Central Distributing, and Four Seasons is still still operating. Four Seasons, I worked with them. That's where we've done window replacements. Uh, shoot, I, I was there early enough. I remember putting on screen win- or, uh, storm windows. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're talking, that's a long time ago stuff. But, right. you know, pulling out old wood windows, putting in new vinyl windows, how to case them in. I learned how to work a metal brake. 
you know, stuff like that. And I was attentive to it and enjoyed it. I liked that that part of it. I liked the construction side. And that would have been early nineteen nineties. So through I, the 90s. I graduated in ninety four. That'd have been that so it'd been mid nineties. That'd have been ninety late ninety four through the end of ninety uh the spring of ninety six. Okay. All right. And then I enjoyed what I was doing, just wasn't making a lot of money. I knew I wanted to do more. Uh, I was looking for something with the auctioneering. So that's when all the auctioneering thing didn't pan out. So I'm like, now nah, what am I going to do? You know, you're, you're a little, you know, I knew I was going to get them to go to work. You know, I'd bail hay for a living. You know, I, I was I was doing everything. That's back when we were still cutting tobacco. You know, like like we'd work all day in the warehouse, leave that evening, there'd be six or eight of us go to a tobacco patch and cut tobacco dark, you know. And that was just, that's, you know, that's the way we did. That's how we made money. That's you how know? life was oh, in central Kentucky. On a Saturday, there'd be five or six of us meet over there and put a roof on. Well, I learned how to roof. You know, I didn't want to learn how to roof. I just learned how because we'd done it. You know, it's just the way we, you know, we just worked. So, uh my dad had met a guy in Russell Springs, Kentucky, who owned the uh, or was the general manager at State Dock at Lake Cumberland. And uh, I didn't know nothing about boat docks, you know, or anything really at all. They would run a bait shop. Run a bait shop, but they didn't have nothing to do with a boat dock. Now, when I say a boat dock, State Dock at Lake Cumberland at the time had a hundred and twenty rental house boats. Oh wow! If so, it was more like a resort. It wasn't like a boat dock, like you're thinking. You know, you didn't pull in there and get you know not pulling in to get get your crickets and some fuel. No, no, no. I mean, you could, but it'd be more like pulling into a Bucky's. I mean, we had 36 fuel dispensers. Wow! This place was massive. I mean, massive, huge, big operating deal, and uh, they needed somebody to come in. There, a lot of their wooden dock surfaces were in disarray, needed repair. And I can't remember. I think they paid me twelve dollars an hour and pay a helper ten dollars an hour. And so, I, yeah, so I was making like I think I'd moved up. I think I was making five and a quarter. I, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I so they wanted you for your construction for construction skills. So like, can you do this? I'm like, I think I can. You know, and I had learned enough uh, just through those eighteen months through ag and learning how to do stuff through uh, through those years with overhead door. Uh, or that year and a half, 18 months over the door, I'd learned enough. I'm like, I think I can handle this. And I, I've never been scared to tackle anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, I seen it in my head. I'm like, I can do this. So we would go in at night, and they were two by two by sixes on the deck, uh, 16 foot long. And we would load them out on a barge. They had this barge we'd load, a, we had a way of loading them. We'd pull it around to the section. We worked at night. Start seven o'clock at night, work seven o'clock in the morning, doing that five days a week. Twelve uh we work five twelves. And we would take up half of a section. They were forty foot long overall sections. We'd take up a half a section, clean it up, fix anything that was broke underneath, and redeck it and have it totally put back together by seven o'clock next morning so they could start operation. And I'd done that for an entire summer from April first say the first day of April to like October thirty first. We done that every night. Redid the whole. Redone, uh, no, no. I mean, that was like a very little bit. I mean, you're talking about over a mile of boat dock if you walk oh, in wow. Indian. No, this place is massive. 180 foot of water under most of, most of it. Cable anchoring. So when I got done with what they kind of wanted done at that time, 
they were real happy, you know, with, with my work. I went to a whole lot of employees. <laughs> I was trying to hire people, and they didn't work at the pace I did. Of course, I'd come out of construction, you know, right. and when I worked over at doors, uh, those guys taught me how to work. We hit that clock in the morning at 6 a.m., and, I mean, you you went to work. Wasn't no standing around bullcrabbing. Those guys, they they got stuff done. I mean, they, they hustled for, you know, all day long. So I was just used to doing that, and people, you know, the guys I hired were, you know, they were at a boat dock. <laughs> they right. weren't they weren't expecting that kind of labor. So anyway, we got it done. My brother worked for me a bunch there. He's really the only person I get to stick it out with me. <laughs> the rest of them just couldn't handle it. So anyway, uh, when it got done uh, with that job, I was, I'd started looking. I kind of liked it. I liked the boat dock because there was welding involved. I'd done some welding for them. Loved the carpentry side of it. I could do plumbing. Always scared of electrical. I'm like, you know, I think I like this deal. I started understanding the flotation the water displacement, weights, and all that stuff. I'd learned to a guy that was there. I'm like, this is a pretty cool gig. I mean, I've seen a lot of money in this. You know, it's, it's, this pays good. So I started looking for other jobs. And I, all I asked him was, I said, look, when you're done with me, give me two or three weeks so I can start playing. I said, I'm going to stick with you till, you till you tell me you're done with me, but i got to have something to do next. So the guy comes to me and says, look, we're done with this, but we'd like to hire you as our maintenance supervisor. And they offered me a job for, on a, I think it was a salary, you know. Back then, it was, pretty, it was good money. I, I can't remember it. Vehicle, insurance, the whole deal. I'm like, and this was 1997 uh, 97-ish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would have been the fall of 96. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, okay. I said, you know what? I like it. Uh, I was living there. They furnished me a, a place to stay when I was working there. And so, houseboat, a houseboat, oddly enough, and uh, which was cool for a while. It becomes a little bitty house trailer after a short time, right? But it was fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was young, so I was like, all right, this is cool. Uh, so I took the job and I went home. You know, told mom and dad, I said, hey, I'm moving to Rust County. I'm gonna work at this boat dock. I'm like, cool. So I rented me a place and moved out and uh, went to work as oper- as a uh, as the uh, Maintenance supervisor or facility maintenance—I think they call it facility maintenance of supervisor. Had a couple of guys, and we'd done that through the winter, and I built all kinds of cool stuff for them. That was so fun. They, the cool part about that is I had access to all the tools. And one of my heroes in life—and people find this so funny—but I grew up watching this guy named Norm Abram. Yeah, you know who that is? Oh, I know who Norm. So is. you and I would know, but a lot of people don't know who Norm Abram is, and he just amazed me with what he could do. You know, yeah, so this old house, this old house, and he had uh, the new Yankee Workshop, which was right. my favorite of all time. So I had access, like I built these huge lighthouses. You know, I figured the compound angles to build these lighthouses. It was solar panels, and and the owner was <clears throat> extremely wealthy, and I can't never think of the word, but he he was. Uh, like, he got something in his mind. He didn't care what it cost. He wanted me to build it. And once he figured out I could build it, oh, uh, I was set for life with him. You know, I could be there forever. So, anyway, I'd done that through the winter. And before spring started, like, we had a meeting. They're like, I mean, we'd like to hire you as our operations manager. I'm like, well, all right, what's that? I have no idea. What's operations manager mean? They're like, well, you would handle day-to-day operations. This would be your, you know, they give me a dozen main things that I'd be in charge of. Huh. I said, I, you know, I've never seen this place operate before. Like, be fine to get through it. And I stayed with them until 2002. Wow. And that was that was fun. That was a lot of fun. 
it was a it was a very interesting job. I mean, because in the wintertime I was in construction. I had access to all the coolest welders, plasma cutters. I mean, we built stuff, big projects, all kinds of, you know, forklift, train equipment. We owned all that stuff. He, he, we done everything in-house. We had our own carpenters, plumbers, mechanics. Everything was right there. And then in the summertime, I was customer service. You know, I had 180 people working. Wow. Oh, yeah, it was a huge operation, cleaning ladies. And we had people who just did propane. You know, just change up propane gas on grills. Right. So it was a great time in my life. It was fun. A lot of fun. Is that boat dock still there? It is. Uh, The guy that I worked for moved on. You know, so I got married. Okay. When Uh, when did we get married? So I got married in 22. And I I seen real quick that the boat dock life, 50 miles from where we were going to live, was not going to work very well. So I thought, you know... See, I worked there. Hold on, let me think. Worked there till 23. So I got married in 22. I left the boat dock in at, at age 22. Yeah. And left at 23. Left at 23. Yep. So I'm like, all right, I got to, uh, I've got to, uh, I got to go home. So, all right, let's back off the work. Who'd you marry? So I grew up in Campbellsville there. Uh, Jennifer Rockhold was her maiden name. Uh, we started dating when I was in. She was into horses. So we had a class together uh, called Equine Science. And the funny story is uh, that was an ag class, so my instructor didn't know a thing about horses. So the first year I took it as a sophomore, we got in there, and the first day he's like, okay, you know, let's talk about horses, you know. Let's talk about what you feed horses or something. And he's like, you can feed them oats, you can feed them corn, you can feed them this. Or you can just let them run with the cows in a silage bunk. And my hand went straight up. And anybody knows anything about horses, like a little handful of silage can kill a horse. They're not rheumatoid like a cow. Right. And this man had no, I said, I said, uh, Mr. Williams, you can't let cows eat, or you can't let horses eat silage and kill them. What? I said, they're not rheumatoid. I said, it's a single stomach. I said, they can't digest it. They, they literally die from it. He's like, really? So he's like, okay, okay. And he moves on. Then the class, he's like, set up here next to me and make sure I don't make some mistake. <laughs> I'm like, cool. So we toured horse farm, done all stuff. So at the end of that year, I was in every class they offered. I, I, I learned a shop, horticulture, land judging, cattle judging, every, whatever they had I was into. Everything except science and math. Science and math. Math I'm very good at. Obviously, with the auctioneering. Science, I love. It was more of the English literature uh, bull crap <laughs> that, that didn't do me any good. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, at the end of that, at the end of the year, he came to me and said, uh, next year you're going to take equine again. I'm like, what? He said, yeah. He said, I've done talk to whoever. He said, you're going to take equine too. You'll get credit for it. He said, but he's like, I have help. Because every day he's like, Jimmy, what do you think? I mean, we had had horses my whole life. Right. And he, he admittedly knew, or admitted that he just didn't have any knowledge about horses. You know, so that worked. We we would go to my horse farm. You know, we'd go to our farm to see the horses. We'd go, and I would say, hey, let's go here. We can see this. Or I'd get a farrier. You know, I virtually, I didn't teach the class. I'm not saying I taught the class, but I taught the class. You know, I mean, I helped. As I, a junior. As and, a junior. Well, that would have been a sophomore. Sophomore. As a sophomore. So, my junior year, I took equine science two, the only student to ever take that at Taylor County High School. And this young lady, Jennifer, was in there. And 
she was into horses. She grew up. Her her dad was a local doctor, and they had always had horses. And uh, she got she was into that, and we met and, and started dating. That would have been her senior year. We would have started dating about Christmas time, roughly after Christmas, her senior year. She was a year ahead of me. We're the same age. She's in August. I'm in October. She went to school a year ahead of me, being the same age. So she's older than you, but you kind of won her over as the authority figure being the instructor in the school. <laughs> I, I guess. I don't. <laughs> I hate to get that deep into it. I really ain't sure. Uh, I guess the Pickens was pretty slim there at Tyler County High School, so I was I – was, and guys, don't forget, go check out our new website, thedoghousepod.com. Um, you can submit questions, see all of our guys that sponsor our show. Click, 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 boom, go buy you some stuff from those guys. And see us on we- on, on the face page over there, Facebook, The Doghouse Podcast with Adam and Jimmy. You can contact us there. We're going to try to put out some content and stuff there. Thanks for listening. Appreciate y'all.